Welcome back to Podcast 34 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at The Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash The Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by Betfred Sports. For 250 bucks worth of free bets, please visit Betfred. Use the promo code ODDS23. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to support The Ozbreakers and benefit from our premium place, please visit the Ozbreakers. Click shop and become a member. Pick any of our winning cappers to get their premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Ozbreakers and become a free picks and telegram subscriber. Hope you guys are having a wonderful week. We have a big show, or actually a great show for you today because Patrick Gates and Eric Rocco from the Oddsbreakers are coming on to talk about the Preakness Stakes. I can't wait to talk to my guys about some horse racing and everything else they have going on. They are on killer streaks, by the way. I mean, if you're not paying attention to Eric Rocco, you you best be on that because he is on fire lately, not only in the NBA, but also in Major League Baseball and, and obviously Patrick speaks for himself man the kid's a gifted hockey better amazing at golf his articles are second to none in the sports betting world at the oddsbreakers.com make sure you guys follow them if you don't already before i have those guys on to talk some horse racing i'm going to talk some nfl nfc north division preview that's right baby just like we've been doing Every single year since this podcast started in early of 2017, we are going to do our division preview. So I prepared the NFC North with their win totals, and I'm very, very excited to get into that and tell you where I might find a little value if I found value in the NFC North division for this podcast and other divisions for the future. At the end of the show, I'm going to get into a little UFC on ESPN. There is an event. I believe it's Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill on May 20th. It's not the greatest of UFC events, but it all pays the same. Maybe we can find a little value for you this week. Last week, unfortunately, the free play was a loser on Smith, but the premium subscribers won because we hit plus 750 on the very first fight by submission and then we hit plus 115 on brian battle right afterwards and that pretty much paid for the whole ufc card before i get into that i want to remind you guys that we now have our nfl packages up most of us do there's a few cappers that need to add it but mine are up and i've already made season win total and future plays getting on the right sides of these line moves when you, when you find value, you find value. Last year, 6-2 and two in NFL win totals, hoping to capitalize the same on it this year. And obviously, college football is coming up, and I'm digging into that as well. I want to tell you, though, I love taking care of the NFL early. When nobody's thinking of it, 
try to get ahead of some stuff because there's lines out. As a matter of fact, DraftKings has line for every single game out already for the 2023-24 season. Man, I can't believe it's going to be 2024 next year, but every single line is out. And if you get ahead of it, you can have some value. Uh, obviously, if you're on the right side of it, that is. And that's what we always strive to do here at the Odds Breakers. We are always closing with line value. Not on every single play, but at least 70% of our NFL plays, we have positive line value. So that's what I love to do. And it's also, there's not really a lot of stress when you're doing it. You know, it's it's not like the games are going on a Monday night that night when you're capping for the future week. There's not a Thursday night game. Hell, NFL's doing a Black Friday game now. There's no Saturday games. There's no big college football coming up. It's nice and easy. It's very relaxing time, May, June, July, when I'm capping. I do my baseball the night before and in the morning, a little bit during the day. NBA is pretty quick for me these days. Um, Just uh, enjoying my summer off and uh, going at my own pace. And that's what I love this time of year, about this time of year and how kind of easy it is to jump into this information before most of the market even tends to care. You know, a lot of people, I would say most people that bet, not necessarily sharp bettors, but most people that bet are just focusing on their own individual sports and they're not even getting into the NFL till at least preseason, sometimes not even till the actual regular season starts. But we always like to get the jump on it. That's why we have our Pythagorean win totals out there. The NFL never stops for us. It actually never stops for a lot of people. So hopefully you will find some value in these podcasts coming up over the next few weeks. I also want to mention that if you like capping football, we are looking for more contributors at the Odds Breakers. If you'd like to monetize with us, please feel to contact us at info at the oddsbreakers.com. Would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, without further ado, let's get right into the NFC North then. And as you know, the NFC North is my favorite division, being that I am a Bears fan. A lot of people say, I used to be a fan of this team, but now I'm a sports better, so I kind of dropped that. I understand that, but you know what? I think that many people also can keep their fandom and not get too emotionally attached. I mean, I'm one of those people that is more pessimistic usually on my Chicago Bears anyway. I probably, over the last 10 to 20 years, have made more bets against the Bears than I have on the Bears. And if you can just look at the Bears' record, it's probably uh, done me some justice. But I'm not one of those people that will get my emotions ahead of me. I'll always be smart and still be a fan of a team. Doesn't mean that you have to bet on them or not against them when the time comes. I want to remind people of that. I think it's a waste of information if you're a fan of a team and you know everything about them, you're listening to wait radio programs about them, right? You're, you're watching them on TV. Uh, it's a waste of information to not use that against them or for them in certain spots. That's always been my philosophy. So, you know, to each his own. I know a lot of guys that have let go of their fandom because they felt it got in the way. And if that's the kind of better you are, maybe you should do that if you care more about sports betting. But as for me, I like the mix myself. And I am a Chicago Bears fan, and it looks like the market's pretty optimistic 
on this team. So let's get right into it. The NFC North. And I got to tell you, if you thought the NFC North was a mess last year, prepare, prepare for a total train wreck this year. I mean, I just see problems, problems, problems with every single team here. And I'm actually going to have a hard time trusting them coming into the 2023 season. Starting with the Vikings, this was the most overrated team in football from the year 2022. And I'm not even sure if it wasn't the most overrated team over the past five years with 13 wins. The Packers lost Aaron Rodgers. I'm not even sure how bad of a thing that is just yet. You know, the Lions, they are the favorite, but they didn't do a heck of a lot to fix their run defense. While the Bears are a huge question mark with a running quarterback that really hasn't proved anything as of yet. I mean, as a matter of fact, if Justin Fields didn't run, he'd be looked at as the worst quarterback in the league and maybe even cut with how bad that performance was. But you also have to understand, this was his first year in a new system, and they really had nobody to throw to. Everyone got hurt, including Mooney. So there's a small excuse built in from him, but still, that passing offense was abysmal. The NFC North gets it easy, though, getting to play the NFC South. But on the other hand, they also have to play the AFC West. Those are the two conferences that they have to play. And uh, the AFC West should be pretty darn good this year with Sean Payton now with Denver, with the Raiders, well, supposedly getting better at pass rush and maybe quarterback with Jimmy G. Then you still have the Chargers and the champion Chiefs. So you have an easy part and then you have a hard part. I don't mind that so much. I like having that easy part. Now it's sacrifice the hard part. Maybe they the hard part, maybe it's a bad rest spot for these teams, right? And by the way, Warren Sharp just tweeted out um, schedule analysis for the NFL, and there's never been a bigger discrepancy this year between some teams getting rest and some teams that uh, don't get rest or, or play teams off of rest. You know, I thought that was very interesting that Warren Sharp uh, tweeted that, and, and there's a much bigger discrepancy this year than past years. So make sure you check that out. I think there's a little bit of value to that. But let's get started with my top-rated team here in the NFC North, which is the Detroit Lions. I know, shocker, right? The market agrees with that. They have the highest Vegas win total at 9.5, juice to the over, at minus 120. Now, their 2022 wins was nine wins. Remember, they beat the Packers at the end, missed the playoffs because of the old debacle with the uh, Rams versus Seattle, which uh, pretty much took the Lions' chances out of getting that wild card, and instead Seattle received it. But either way, they did well last season, and it earned them a second-place schedule. And their schedule actually ended up being medium easy. They have at-large games versus Seattle, at Baltimore, and at Dallas. Eh, you know, those, those are second-place teams. What can you say? It, Baltimore is tough and scary. Uh, Dallas is Dallas. They can be great or lay eggs. And then Seattle was 
they overachieved last year, but can they actually build from that? You know, when I say overachieve, I meant from expectations. They were, they were a good team last year. So the reason it's medium easy is probably because you get to play the Bears and the Packers twice and the overrated Vikings, I guess. That's part of it and the NFC South. But either way, what I do is use Warren Sharp's Vegas win total strength of schedule. I also like using power rating strength of schedule. That's the correct way to do it. You don't do it based upon who teams played the year before because you can have guys like Tom Brady that retire and that team is completely different the next year. You use it on future projections. So that's how to find a real strength of schedule. I like use Warren Sharps early. I also use schedule based upon projections on the teams you play on how high the power ratings are. You just add up all the power ratings of the teams that you play on a schedule ever has the highest, has the hardest schedule, has the lowest number, has the easiest schedule. But either way, they have a pretty fortunate schedule being a second-place team. Their schedule last year was straight-up medium, kind of in the middle. Now their key losses was running back Jamal Williams, cornerback Mike Hughes, cornerback Jeffrey Akuda in that trade to Atlanta, running back DeAndre Smith or Swift, sorry, Swift to with that trade to the Eagles on how they're just collecting Georgia talent. Wide receiver DJ Chark, wide receiver Quintez Cephas for betting on the NFL games. Wide receiver Jamison Williams for six games, I had to put, because he did bet on college games, which was a no-no according to the NFL as well. I do disagree with that, but either way, it's the rule. And uh, a couple other guys. The key additions to this team. Running back, David Montgomery. Cornerback, Cameron Sutton. Great corner. And another cornerback, big name, Emmanuel Mosley from San Fran. Wide receiver, Marvin Jones, who they drafted. Running back, Jameer Gibbs. Linebacker, Jack Campbell. Tight end, Sam Laporta. Safety, Brian Branch. Quarterback, Hendon Hooker. Now the summary. The best thing that happened to the Lions in the offseason was retaining their offensive coordinator in Ben Johnson. That was their biggest win because that offense was humming last year. Many other things really did not pan out for them. Somehow a few players on the team thought it was smart, like I said, to bet on football and costed them their jobs. Cephas was cut, six-game suspension for Jamison Williams. A couple other smaller guys got cut as well. But I guess maybe this team needs somebody to watch these guys or give them some life advice or something because that was absolutely ridiculous how that was allowed. And if somebody knew they were doing that, why the hell did you not stop them? Apparently the Kelvin Ridley suspension last year really didn't phase these kids. But anyways, now you have Williams who was coming into last year missing six games or whatever, six to eight. Now he's missing another six. Kid still at can't play a full season after the first two years of football. I like what the Lions did in the draft for the most part, but it could have went better if they decided to beef up their interior defensive line, in my opinion. They could have done that. They could have got Carter. Um, I do like, like the safety, Brian Branch. I thought he was probably the best in the draft. I also liked how they finished the season last year with uh, Dan Campbell. The Lions should make the playoffs. 
over teams probably like the Vikings, the Giants, just looking on the strength of them this year. But I think the season win total is correct at 9.5 for this team. So I can't really do anything. And my exact number that I came up with is 9.4. So there is absolutely no play on this one for me. Detroit Lions power rating is 3.75 points better than the average team. Next, we have the Minnesota Vikings. Vegas win total 8.5, juice to the over at minus 130. 2022 wins, 13. Pythagorean wins, 8.32. That's terrible. I mean, it's the biggest difference out of any NFL team in at least a few years. Their schedule, they have to play at large, at Philadelphia, San Francisco at home, and then at Cincinnati. That's not good. (laughs) All three of those teams are very superior to the Vikings. Last year's schedule was medium easy. Key losses, defensive tackle Delvin Tomlinson, wide receiver Adam Thielen, cornerback Patrick Peterson, inside linebacker Eric Kendricks, tight end Irv Smith, cornerback Duke Shelley, defensive end as of recent with the trade that people saw coming, Zadarius Smith. Key additions, tight end Josh Oliver, Cornerback, Byron Murphy from Arizona. Defensive end, Marcus Davenport. And defensive end, Dean Lawrie from the Packers. So they did bring in some defensive end help for that loss that they knew was coming of Zadarius Smith. Who they drafted? Wide receiver, Jordan Addison. Cornerback, Makai Blackman. And cornerback, Jay Ward. The Vikings were the luckiest team in football by far last year, overachieving their Pythagorean win total by 4.68 games. Somehow this team won 10 out of 11 one-score games, which is insane to me. The only one they lost was the playoffs because the Giants. My big problem with them is that their schedule will be going from pretty easy to a first-place schedule ranked pretty darn hard. The at-large games here, Absolutely brutal, as I said earlier. The Eagles, the Niners, and the Bengals. I don't see a win there. Another issue I have with this team is they I don't think they drafted that well. I feel that the Vikings needed to get better at linebacker and interior defensive line in order to stop the rushing power of the NFC North. They also ranked 21st in sacks, which was pretty low. And picking up Dean Lowry and Marcus Davenport kind of feels more like a Band-Aid rather than a real solution to me. This is what I just don't understand with the Jordan Addison pick in the first round. I mean, you didn't use Thielen that much last year, and now you draft a guy that you're, you know, kind of replaces him, but you're not getting better on defense. You're better off just picking up a medium receiver off waivers. Sorry, or just signing one, I mean, right? And saying all that, 
This team still has a ton of talent on offense. And if Cousins can stay upright, this team could get to about eight to nine wins. Um, It's an easier NFC North division. But my number is actually 8.16. The win total is 8.5, juice to the over, strong lean to the under, uh, in my opinion. But I would not be shocked if they get it to eight wins or even nine wins uh, in this uh, this year. The Vikings' power rating is one point above the average team. The third and fourth teams are tied. So I'm not just saying that my Chicago Bears are right now better than the Green Bay Packers. I think they're very close. The big difference is the Chicago Bears have a fourth-place schedule, and the Packers have a third-place schedule. The Bears' win total is 7.5, juice to the over at minus 135. 2022 wins, three. Pythagorean wins, 5.09. Schedule, easy. At-large games, at Washington, at Cleveland, and versus Arizona. That's pretty good. Maybe Washington's a loss. Maybe Cleveland's going to be a loss, but you at least get to beat Arizona. And who knows? Maybe you get one of those two, Washington or Cleveland. It's too bad that it wasn't like the Colts or the Texans in the AFC getting fourth place. You know, that would have been better, but at least they still get to play, like I said, the NFC South, which has a lot of bad teams from last year, or at least below average teams. They, might have improved minus Tampa. Tampa got worse. Schedule last year was considered medium. Their key losses, running back David Montgomery, tackle Riley Reif, defensive tackle Armand Watson, wide receiver Byron Pringle. I mean, these aren't even that big of losses, really. Their key additions, wide receiver DJ Moore in that big trade, inside linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, one of the best linebackers out there, guard Nate Davis, defensive end Demarcus Walker, from the Titans, linebacker T.J. Edwards from the Eagles. He played a ton, starter. Running back Travis Holmes, tight end Robert Tanyan, defensive end Rasheem Green, and running back Deonta Foreman. That's a lot of guys they brought in, but they needed a lot. Who they drafted? Tackle Darnell Wright from Tennessee, my number one ranked tackle. Defensive end Gervin Dexter, senior from Florida. Cornerback Tyreek Stevenson. From Miami, defensive line Zach Pickens from South Carolina, linebacker Noah Sewell from Oregon, and a bunch of long shots. My summary. Well, hitting the Bears last year was pretty easy, let's face it. This was our biggest season win total that we gave out this time of year last year. Under 6.5 wins at plus money. That was that was wonderful. Now, there just seems to be a ton of optimism in the market jacking these bears all the way up to 7.5 wins worst place to kind of towards the middle feels like a lot after trading Roquan Smith to the Ravens the Bears defense became the worst in the league by far and many of the guys who weren't playing or who were playing last year wouldn't even make an average team that's how bad this defense was the good news for the Bears is that they've been very busy in free agency, as I alluded to earlier. They got proven linebackers, Edmonds and Edwards. They 
drafted some defensive line talent, which they really needed. Hopefully one of those guys pans out. There's still holes at edge. They didn't get an edge rusher. Still holes at safety where Jackson's getting pretty old. Jaquan Brisker has some learning to do. So the Bears are relying on the talent to come through early, and I just don't know if that's possible. But the biggest unknown besides Coach Eberflus, because he is unknown. We don't know if he's good yet. His offense sure as hell wasn't last year. Maybe he didn't have the players, but that was bad. Is the throwing ability of Justin Fields, because we don't know that. You know, We don't know if he can be an NFL quarterback. Now, what I saw from Ohio State is he can throw to some wide-open guys making crossing routes. He certainly had time to develop, and if you remember the last beginning of the season last year, he would hold the ball too long, like Ohio State was blocking Rutgers, you know, but Fields can run the ball quite well and force out of the pocket, so there's some optimism there. I mean, it, it's it's just going from worst passer to, I, I hope, if, if you go from worst passer to medium, this could be a good year for the Bears because of his running ability. But that's a big step. Let's hope the acquisitions of Robert Tanyan, DJ Moore, and last year's midseason trade via Chase Claypool helps the Bears with some big play, uh, plays. They got guard Nate Davis, which is good. They drafted Darnell Wright to fix the offensive line. You know what that means? That means no more excuses for Fields and his throwing abilities. It's on him this year and on the coaches is what I have to say. Being that the Bears have one of the easiest schedules in the league is a nice thing. If you go by what Warren Sharp just said, the Bears are number two. Actually, net edge is number one tied with the Jets. Plus 12 net rest days. They only have two minus ones, meaning they probably came off a Monday night football game and they play Sunday. And then they have two plus ones, a plus two, a plus three, and a plus seven. You know, that's good for your rest days. So that helps their easier schedule. All this together got me up to 7.55 wins. To be honest with you, I'm somewhat cautiously optimistic as well. I don't think playoffs, but my number came up to where this really the season win total really is. You know, I agree exactly with the market. So call me a homer, but... It, this market felt a little high, and that's what I kind of came up to. And my Bears power rating is minus two points worse than the average team. Let's just kind of wait on this thing and see where it goes. I predict that this is going to get hit to the under. I think some sharper players are going to knock this season win total down more towards seven. Number four, the Green Bay Packers. Vegas win total 7.5, juice to the under. Minus 120. 2022 wins 8. Pythagorean wins 8.36. So they underachieved a little bit. Schedule, medium easy at large versus the LA Rams at Pittsburgh at the New York Giants. You could almost argue that these at-large games might be better than the Bears in some cases. You get to play a Rams who rumor already started that they're tanking for Caleb Williams, you know, you're at Pittsburgh, which could be a little rough. I think Pittsburgh's a good team. At the New York Giants, who knows? They were slightly overrated too. Last year's schedule was medium. Key losses. Quarterback Aaron Rodgers 
literally the elephant in the room. You know, I I shouldn't even have to like go any farther with who they lost, but they lost a lot of guys with them. Wide receiver Alan Zazard, defensive end Jaron Reed, defensive end Dean Lawry to the Vikings, wide receiver Randall Cobb, tight end Robert Tiny to the Bears, free safety Adrian Aramos that used to play for the Bears, and kicker Mason Crosby. Key additions, not much in free agency. Free safety Tavarius Moore. That's how much money Rodgers commanded in Green Bay. Who they drafted? Edge, Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. Tight end, Luke Musgrave, I believe from Oregon State. Wide receiver, Jaden Reed uh, from Michigan State. Tight end, Tucker Kraft. I'm just doing this from memory, by the way. Uh, edge, Colby Wooden. Quarterback, Sean Clifford from Penn State. And a bunch of guys. So my summary, huge transition year for the Packers for 2023. The team really only relied on two quarterbacks since the early 1990s since Favre took over for I think Don Mikowski if I remember correctly now the big question is if Jordan Love can actually play some ball being that the Packers extended him for 22.5 million it at least shows some confidence in the kid one thing that I said for sure is that the Packers shed a bunch of older weight from their team which makes them rely on the youngsters at the skill positions the good news for this team is that return a lot of guys on defense but they still could use some work against the run they only ranked second to last in opponent rush epa but packer fans have to love the talent on this defense and this will be where the packers it's what they're going to lean on i think is they're going to be their defense into the 2023 season i think the most logical outlook is that they're going to play slow again. They're going to be an unders team again by far. I think this could be the most unders of the unders, but the market probably agrees. You're probably going to get some low numbers anyway. But they're not going to put too much on Jordan Love for the very first year here coming into the season. They're not going to ask too much of him, even though he's got some decent receivers in Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. So my season win total for the Packers came up to 6.68. So it's already juiced to the under, but it's not quite enough for me to bet it at 7.5. I want to lean to the under um, in this weak division. Green Bay's power rating is exactly what I have with the Bears right now at the minus two. Now, obviously, no season win total plays here for you. Sorry, can't do it on every single one. I'm not going to make plays up out of thin air if they're not there. Or if I already gave one to premiums, I'm not going to disclose that either. But what I will say is that these division odds, too, to win, Detroit Lions plus 130, Vikings plus 265, Bears plus 380, Green Bay Packers plus 500. I don't think the Packers should be any worse of odds than the Bears to win it. They both should be probably around the plus 400, 425 range. And to be honest with you, I, I think the Lions are the ones that win it. You know, And that's what my numbers say. Plus 130 is not exactly giving you a big return. But the fact that they don't have the first place schedule and the Vikings do, I think that really gives them a little bit of an edge here. So plus 130 is what I would lean on if I was going in that direction. All right, let's move into the Preakness Stakes with our guys, Eric Rocco 
and Patrick Gates. Now I'm excited to welcome back two of our amazing handicappers and horse racing fans in Mr. Patrick Gates. And for the first time, actually, Mr. Eric Rocco. You can follow them on Twitter at Gator Betting and at Trust Rocco. There's a big week going on in sports, my friends. Patrick, how the heck are you balancing it? Chaos. That's the only thing you can do. You just got to embrace the chaos this week, pretty much. Uh, NHL playoffs, PGA Championship, Preakness. Great time of the year to be a sports fan. <laughs> it certainly is, man. But, you know, it's, you just cranked out this massive PGA article. And I, I can't, I always can't say enough about your writings and how fine of a job you do there. And, and anybody listening to this or watching, make sure you check out this article from Patrick. You will absolutely be blown away. But I just don't know where you get the time, Patrick. And uh, a little birdie told me that you might be there this weekend. I will be. I'll be in attendance Friday. So if anyone's there, shoot me a message. Great to meet up with uh, for some fellow golf fans. So, yeah, that should be a great week. Wow, that is exciting. And Eric, man, can't say enough about what you've been doing. Fantastic run. You're honest when you're losing. You're honest when you're winning. But you've been winning more than you're losing for sure. But I want to congratulate you on that. And obviously, this is the first time you came on the show with me. So welcome, yes. my friend. How are you doing? <laughs> Yes, it would not be my podcast debut, but it is with you. And uh, thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Kind of like what I told Farley in the podcast last week. You know, you you and Farley were the two podcasts I listened to the most when I was aspiring to do this. So same thing. To be on it is kind of surreal for me. And uh, like Patrick said, it's a great time of the year to be a sports fan. Derby, Preakness, baseball, basketball playoffs, hockey playoffs. Uh, no golf. No golf for me, but... Everything else, like I'm, I'm just as excited. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe Patrick could talk us into a few things. I'm not the biggest golf batter. I like to play the majors, but I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. very excited to see what he has to do because we're going to touch on that at the end. But first, let's get into the 148th running of the Preakness Stakes. And I always start with this: What the heck are we going to get for weather, Eric? Ah, uh, the little bit of research I've done. There looks like there's going to be scattered thunderstorms Saturday morning. Um, how much rain it doesn't look like a lot of rain. So I don't see it affecting the races very much. Um, the forecast I saw, it looks like the, the storms that are coming through will be done by around 11, 12, one o'clock. So the, the track will, the track will get fast fairly quickly in my opinion. Okay. Patrick, is that kind of what you're hearing? Yeah, it's kind of what I saw. I mean, it, it all depends on the rain. Like we saw before, the weather can change on a dime. So it's pretty much just kind of something you got to monitor the day of. I think it's kind of, it's kind of how it's been for the past few uh, Triple Crown races, especially going back to the past few years. It's it's all the day of. Yeah, Can't it really is. Predict the weather. Especially this time of year. You know, it's uh, yeah. it, it, the spring is all over the place. If you lived in the Midwest or out east, you kind of know that. And uh you know, with Pimlico out there, I believe in, um, I believe Maryland, is that it? Is Baltimore. It? Baltimore, yep, yep. Baltimore, Baltimore Maryland. Maryland, yep. Yep, so, uh, yeah, and it's it's one of those situations where it could turn on a dime. So definitely time to uh, monitor that. But, you know, also another thing to monitor, is it's kind of funny. Um, last two, well, two weeks ago at the Derby, a lot of people talking about it. I had to talk about it early, too. And the biggest horse, the favorite, was scratched. And same with five total horses in this derby, I mean, that was a little bit out of the ordinary, but um, now that we have an eight horse field, is that something we're worried about a little bit, Patrick? I don't think so. I mean, we've kind of seen this in years past as the Preakness field does kind of get overlooked, especially with the derby. It is a little bit out of the ordinary. I think I saw a stat too that this, so Mage is the only uh, derby entrant that is coming over to Pimlico here. 
And I think this is like the lowest amount of horses that have made the trip in the past 50 years or so. So yep. it is a little bit concerning. Um, but I mean, in general, horse racing fields are getting smaller. Uh, there's less kind of those elite tier horses that even compete in this. I don't think a few horses even in the field can compete, but we'll kind of get to that later. Yeah, that's possibly true too. Um, yeah, I, only eight horses here, which makes an interesting field. And uh, Eric, what are your thoughts on obviously that in the field itself? Well, Patrick hit the nail on the head as far as we've seen this coming for years. Field sizes have gotten shorter consistently all over the country. Um, this is nothing new. Every five to ten years, it's just a steady, steadily decline in horses in general. But I know it's eight horses. I still think it's a quality field. Um, seven of the eight belong in the race. I mean, you have the uh, you have the Lexington winner. You have the El Camino Ridge Derby winner. Baffert, one of his better horses. Go down the list. The Federico Tassio winner. So I still think it's a quality field. I I don't have a problem with there only being eight horses. That, that doesn't bother me somewhat at all. Lowers a potential payout, I guess. <laughs> That's what you want to get at. It depends on who you like, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, I mean, just the straight up odds on the horses. But you know, I mean, that almost like a refreshing thing to me in a way because we just went through nineteen twenty horses, right? In the derby. It's like it's like now we're kind of getting back yeah. to reality here, and you can really uh, kind of pick what you uh, what you like. You know. Um, so uh, I guess the favorite wins. Co- pretty often in this race from some of the stats that I looked at, uh, Eric, uh, wh- why would that be in this, on this race? Um, for starters, Pimlico is more of a speed favoring favorite chalk racetrack. Um, your Derby winner going into the Preakness doesn't, isn't always up against a lot. It's actually a cutback in distance. So I think a lot of those are factors into the, why the favorite wins the Preakness a lot. Does that make sense, Patrick? Yeah. I mean, I, I went through a past kind of the past, what, five, uh preakness stakes and it looks like the last favorite morning line favorite to win was justified back in 2018 um but yeah rocco kind of hit the nail on the head here like he said it is a speed favoring track here and given the kind of drop off in quality when you come from the derby to kind of the preakness it does make sense okay okay makes sense so why or, or how about this question what kind of horse is best for this mile and three sixteenths race? Would it be the closers, the front runners, maybe the stalkers? What do you guys think? And you can go first. As far as far as the distance goes, there's really no specific style that fits the distance. It's more or less the horse. Can the horse get the distance? A lot of horses nowadays, they're just not bred to go eight, nine, ten, eleven furlongs, especially on the dirt. That's why you don't see many dirt races being race this long throughout the country at all the tracks um but like i said about pimlico it's very speed favoring so most of the time you want to be near the lead near the lead yeah in the past uh 10 years um i think nine of the winners were close to the pace uh in general so i saw that and two and kind of the last deep closer was back in 2016 uh exaggerator came back from 11 lengths so exactly it is it is you kind of want to be up there near the pace and well, I don't think, I mean, Rocco could disagree here, but I don't think this race is too much early speed outside maybe one horse. Um, but I, I think it kind of sets up for maybe a closing opportunity in this race specifically. Okay. That's interesting. If it, I mean, if you're getting high fractions 
uh, suicide fractions, possibly, then maybe a closer does kind of come up at the end, which makes it interesting. And you're right. Mile and three sixteenths is kind of in the middle, you know, yet. And when I say middle, it's because the Belmont is such a big race and the Kentucky Derby is such a big race. That's the only two major races that are really longer. The rest are a mile, mile, 16th, mile and an eighth, you know. So uh, I, I find that interesting. Now, going to the post positions, Patrick, uh, are they important in this race? Yeah, I mean, obviously, historically, you see the stats, too. And I think it's, I mean, post-position stats, to me, are kind of like trends in other sports. So you have, like, hockey. You have, like, the overs hitting, like, 4-0 on a Tuesday when it's 86 <laughs> degrees. It's it's kind of like that. It all depends on the style of horse that's in that position, too. Can you go back to their stats? Can they break from that one position? Can they get out early? Have they had issues coming from the outside? It, it all depends on the specific horse. It changes race to race, so... While you kind of do have to factor in, I put more of a factor into their historical stats breaking from that specific post rather than a trend of the horse coming out of post position six has won 16 times in the previous. Okay. And you agree, Eric? I love the uh, the trend analogy. That's perfectly put. I don't ever look at those stats. I Even historically, I don't care what post they're in. It just it varies on the horse. And in this particular race, there's two horses it's going to affect. The Baffert horse draws the rail. And while he was most likely always sending to the lead, drawing the rail, he's 100% sending to the lead. Kind of like Verifying, who I was a fan of going to the Derby. But when he drew the two posts, I couldn't bet the horse no more. Tyler had no other option but to send this horse to the lead, go too fast, and get burnt out early. And he came to a stop. And that's kind of the issue I have with the one horse in the Preakness is I think he's going to get hit from the outside by a couple horses, specifically the cheap speed in the four. And then it, back to the post position statement, I think it affects the eight first mission because he's the widest of all. Sias is going to want to put the horse into the race, and I'm afraid he might get a little too aggressive early. Okay, yeah, to move into that position. So that's interesting. Um, you know, it, it, I'm looking at this field here, and it just – doesn't seem and you kind of answered my question my next question was who's going to be the front runners in this race you know and you know a, a national treasure makes sense just kind of what you said there he's on the post he's a baffert horse now again here we go here we go back to bob baffert uh from yachting but there he is and uh and then obviously you got a few closers mage is considered a closer i'm sure though especially with the way he ran at the derby and, and it's funny how you mentioned uh the front runner in the Kentucky Derby, I believe I had the six horse. I think it was Kingsguard or something. And I was like, for half the race, I was like, yeah, baby. <laughs> and now all of a sudden he crapped out at me like he should have. But I at least hit the exact box, which was really nice. Uh, nice. Uh, for the Derby, uh, one of my uh, previous guests, Sig from Wager Talk, hit the hit the exact and the trifecta. So congrats to wow. him. But yeah, that was a, wow, right. that was a massive payout for the uh, Kentucky Derby. But yeah, the, the way I see it is, I think that National Treasure will take the front. Um, so that's interesting. And then you think that Coffee with Chris the, uh, yep. might be uh, uh, running fast off the gate too, as well, right? That's the horse I've been talking about on Twitter all week. I think he affects the outcome drastically affects the outcome of this race because he's the he's the bomber he's the one probably has no chance to win so why not just send this horse to the lead maybe he makes the lead and holds on that's kind of the best that the connections are hoping for i really don't think jamie has any other option but to try and push this horse to the lead which is going to screw up baffert's race completely yeah that was my exact thought too was this horse cannot win this race in my opinion this but he will affect the outcome based on him setting that early pace and throwing off the pretty much the trip that these other jockeys want to have in this race 
Okay. Well, that's good information, guys. Um, well, let's move on to the next question that I have then for you. How are the speed figures looking in general in this race? Why don't you go first, Eric? How do the speed figures look? Well, the first thing I had noticed was the speed figures for the Derby, I thought came back a little light. Um, I compared it to last year, one of the, my opinion, one of the worst Derby winners ever, Rich Strike. Rich Strike got a 97 <laughs> on so Equibase. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. He got a 97, and I thought Mage's performance was very good this year. He only got a 104 on Equibase and a 103 on Brisnet. I'm a Brisnet numbers guy. I'm not a DRF guy. I don't go by buyers personally when I handicap. But as far as Brisnet and Equibase went, I thought Mage's number came back a little low. And then the other speed figure I found interesting was first missions race in the Lexington when he won. I know he beat Bob Baffert's horse, Arabian Lion, who's entered in the fourth race on Saturday in the uh, Sir Barton. But the number came back really high in the Lexington. And I think it came back a little too high. And that's what the public's going to bet first mission off of. Oh, yeah. That's okay. So this 98 is pretty high on the, on the uh, buyers, would you say? Eh, I, I don't think it's that high. I don't know what I don't know what the previous. I don't remember. I shouldn't say I don't know. I, sh, I don't remember what the previous winners were in the Derby, but I would assure you they were much higher than that. Okay, okay. So I mean, looking at this field, I'm going to, and, and this is from my experience betting horses. I know that I don't do it as much as you guys, but I would say this field is kind of weak uh, compared to other Preaknesses. Is that fair, Eric Patrick? Yeah, I mean. I would say that's fair. I'm not, I don't, I don't really want to rag on this field too much because it, it, it is what it is, but it is a weaker field in my opinion here. When you look at kind of um, the top tier horses in this race, they do kind of stand out more towards uh, the bottom. I usually try to avoid the favorites in this race and I think I'm going to, but it is a little tougher in this race, especially like you had mentioned before, when you dive into those speed figures, there is a pretty big disparity between some of these horses, especially kind of when you break them down in tiers of who do you think can actually win this race. Yeah, it's weird to see two seventies here, like for Chase the Chaos, and he's sitting here in this race. You know, you got an eighty-five and an eighty-two with Coffee with Chris. You know, now obviously you got the ninety-eight with First Mission, which is one of the favorites. You got the ninety-five with National Treasure, and of course the one hundred five with Mage that just won the Kentucky Derby. You know that's going to be over a hundred, but the rest of these it just seems like a weak field to me in general eric any thoughts on that yeah i would agree with everything you just said um the issue with chase the chaos is all of his good races came over the, over the synthetic at golden gate mm. and if anybody doesn't know what that means synthetic and dirt are completely two different surfaces most of your synthetic horses are very good on the turf it's it's a, it's a comparable softer surface so those horses don't relatively run well on the dirt so if you toss him out of the race Coffee with Chris, the four, probably doesn't belong in the race either. Now we're down to a six-horse field. And barring some crazy outcome, like you said, that is going to dilute the payout because most people are looking at this race as a six-horse race. Oh, that makes Sadly, I am too. <laughs> I, think, I think those are the ones I crossed off as well. I mean, for the most part, yeah. I, I have a um, an idea what I'm going to do with my uh, ticket, but obviously want to see what you guys – think and I'm, my next question that leads right into patrick who is your favorite to win this race yeah i mean it, it's tough so mage obviously wasn't the favorite in the derby here um 
But it's an interesting kind of story of him, too, when you look back at it, too. So there's two previous races in the Florida Derby and in the San Fili- or the Fountain of Youth Stakes. Sorry, he lost to Forte, who was the favorite, got scratched. That obviously moved him up a little bit on the board yourself. You look at a similar kind of story for first mission here. I get, uh, I like what Rocco said before of kind of that outside post position is going to affect him a little bit more. But you look back at his stats, he's lost to first mission. Or he's, I mean, he's won his last two races here. He's looked good. His speed figures have been improving here. Great workouts as of late, especially kind of getting lengthening out, looking towards a derby, a bullet workout in his last. I I like the eight a lot this race here. I don't think Mage can really repeat here. Um, so I usually try to avoid the favorite, try to find a way around the favorite if I can here. So I'm going to look to probably key first mission up top here, but there's a few other horses that I like as well. So while he is kind of my personal favorite, I may kind of sprinkle in a few other horses, which we can get to later. And how do you not like Brad Cox as a trainer and Saez as a jockey, you know, so you got two good things going for you right there. Eric, how about you? Well, this is my first time disagreeing on a podcast, so this is going to be interesting. <laughs> I could not disagree more on first mission. Um, for starters, the value on him is going to be terrible because you got Brad Cox, Luis Saez, high-speed figures, coming off a nice win to Lexington. This horse I have read all week is going to be pounded at the windows from now until yeah. when the race goes off. That's the issue I have with first mission. I don't see Mays going off six to five even money. Can he repeat? That's that's a whole different question. But as far as value goes, that's kind of why I'm against first mission. Um, I don't think he beat anybody in the Lexington. If you go down the list, Arabian Lion, there's a reason he's in the Sir Barton. He's not in a better race going forward. The third place finisher, Disarm, got buried in the Derby. He's just gonna he's gonna be an average horse the rest of his career. And, and you can just go down the list. I don't think there was nothing in that race to be betting first mission as strong as they are going into the Preakness. Um the horse I'm targeting will actually be a price. I don't know what we're going to get on him. He's uh, he's 15 to one morning line. Uh, Perform the six, the Shug McGahey trainee, ridden by Farragut Lynch. Um, his performance in the Federico Tassio was one of the greatest wins of the 30,000 races I've probably raced, watched in my life. In my, uh, it was unbelievable to win. This horse got stopped three times in the stretch and still found a way to win after getting um, steadied coming out of the gate Looks like a good enough distance between that back in April 23rd as well. That's 15 to 1 seems like a, a pretty interesting price on a horse that took two firsts in his last two races, you know, coming in here. So I, that one stuck out a little bit to me. I'm not going to lie. So you're keying in on Perform, which is a nice payout payment horse. It's just not a big name for the trainer, right, with McGahee. Not a big name. No, McGahee's a huge name. The well, I mean, I, let's just, not. I mean, compared to the Cox, the Bafferts, the Pletchers. Right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess he would be a tier below, but I wouldn't put him too far below. Hmm. He's actually very good with distance horses. That's kind of why, another reason why I like this horse in this spot. Um, people aren't going to bet him. You say he won two in a row. If you go two back, that one was at Tampa. And unless you're a Tampa regular, Tampa follower, when people see Tampa on the program, this is the first thing they do. They don't even look at the race. So, People that do follow Tampa kind of have an edge when those horses run when they're in the PPs. This horse finished the race in 140-1. and one. He drew the seven hole. He got pushed five wide in the first turn. I read got the horse to tuck and relax, and it showed a different, um, um, what's the word, showed a different move in the horse instead of going to the leagues. If you go down his PPs, this horse was pushed to the lead at every other race. That was the first race he got taken back and got him to relax, which is what Lynch did in the Federico Tasio. So... Those are all the reasons why I'm on this horse mostly. I mean, you make a great argument and at a great price, you know, because 
when you don't like a field in general, you can say that, well, I'm going to take some money horses. The problem with uh, the way, way I look at it is I think that there is a really legit horse, unfortunately, that ran it already. And I can sound like the public guy, but, but I don't know why I'm completely fading mage here. You know, I mean, it, it, my problem and what I'm upset with myself with the Derby is, I mean, even Marco said it on our podcast, if you like Forte, why don't you like Mage? And all of a sudden Forte gets scratched and I'm not moving. <laughs> I'm not replacing him. Why, why am I not doing that? You know, this yeah. hindsight stuff keeps bugging me. But, I mean, the, the dude can close and he's got a pretty good post position at the three if he wants to stalk. You know, so it's just like, why would I – why just not go with what's obvious? Another thing, being the eight-horse field usually favors the favorites. I mean, I'd much rather bet the Derby for the long shots and the pile of money that you can get in to the Derby in general, but you know, this is almost where I'm going to probably put mage up at number one, but my other number one is national treasure. So I re I rewatched the Santa Anita Derby. Okay. And when he was rounding that final post here, that final turn, he got bumped hard, you know, and he still kind of ran up to finish fourth. You know, you kind of saw that push at the end, but he got, he got bumped and uh, that threw him off completely. Uh, I don't think it was the best race one, uh, ran by uh, Velasquez and you know he didn't have a great position in that horse to get him bumped but you know maybe I I would almost treat him like a favorite at four to one and maybe put him on the top as well uh kind of what you said about first mission I looked at him too and I'm not gonna let first mission beat me guys I'm not gonna let uh I'm not gonna let perform beat me either so what I'm gonna do with them I'm going to put them on top two on just a cheaper try. You know, I think I'm yep. going to do that. And and I think that I'm going to also have, you know, a nice exact out on those two horses, which would definitely pay some, you know, pretty well, as long as I can still get the national treasure uh, or mage for second, you know? So that's kind of the yep. way I'm looking to construct my ticket. So it's almost like we uh, disagree yet. We kind of agree in ways, right? I like it. I think yeah. we're, I think we're all going three different ways here. That's great. That's the best part about horse racing. <laughs> no, it makes it, it makes sense, and that's fun. No, that's great. So, uh, you know, it, and just like you kind of alluded to, I'm tossing number two. I, I don't think number two belongs here at all. Um, if I could make a bet to finish last in this race, it would be number two. But the number four and the number four, I think these horses though are going to go off at a massive price. Okay. So that's going to be interesting. So instead of leaving two horses off of your trifecta to show on the third, I think you'd hit the all button. You know, I, I, I mean, it's you're going to have to put a little bit more of an investment on it. But if you can hit one of these two horses and at the three, and it, well, first of all, if you don't, you're really kicking yourself. But but if one of those can hit the three. Uh, it, it would be a pretty nice payout to your trifecta, wouldn't it, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, I'll agree. I'll uh, I'll see what Rocco thinks, but I think the four uh, coffee with Chris would be the, that horse you kind of want to put in that show position. If anything, I mean, Chase the Chaos. You look kind of what he's done. He earned a win in your in spot uh, in the Preakness and the El Camino Derby here, but that was on artificial surface here. He tried dirt for the first time in the Grade Two San Felipe Stakes. Non-competitive here. Coming off, he's coming off a two-month layoff here. So we'll see how that affects him. But again, he hasn't really looked look well when he's increased in distance here. So I think if you're going to kind of throw one of those long shots in for your tri 
I think it's a four. I don't think the two hits the board here at all. Uh, Eric? I don't disagree with any of that. Um, if either one of them were to make the ticket, yeah, you're talking boxcars for the triple, no matter what comes in ahead of them. I'm not an all type of better. When I have horses that aren't going to hit the ticket or can't win the race, I always leave them off the ticket. That's just my way of handicapping. Some people agree with it. Some people hate it. They, they'll never leave one or two horses off, off a ticket. Um, I don't think they have a chance to hit the board. So I'd rather take that money and reinvest in other places. That's kind of how I would look at it. And, and, and that's fair because you're playing the whole you're playing the whole day. <laughs> you know, I mean, you guys are playing, playing the whole day, all let's week. Face I mean, it. you yeah. bet all year. It, yeah, it, 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 it adds up. Yeah, it certainly does. And, you know, you want to attack races how you think. You know, if you're just kind of like just coming in and you want to bet run race, then you can kind of think about that a little bit. And so, um, unfortunately, I'll be coaching and doing all kinds of fun stuff during the day. I'm hoping to even <laughs> catch the race myself on time. So I, so I might be, I might be playing one race this weekend. So uh, that's the way I'm thinking about attacking it. But without giving out too much information, Patrick, uh, how do you plan on attacking it this race? Yeah, I think we kind of broke it down before too. I think you're looking at those uh, tries and exact this year. In my opinion, kind of those win bets are a little bit outdated. I mean, you're, the return you're getting, if you like a horse to win, throw them in your exotics, throw them in your exacta, throw them in your try here. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably have two or three exactas. Um, where I'll probably try to key one of the, um, probably, I'll probably key first mission one of them. And then I might throw in perform blazing sevens, kind of throw those two up top uh, and another exacta and then kind of work my way down there. But yeah, I'll probably have two or two or three exactas and then probably one or two tries in this race as well. Uh, just trying to key a few horses. I usually don't kind of go um, all uh, in any of the situations, just like Rocco here. I usually kind of pick and place where I want these horses to finish up based on kind of my rankings at the end. But yeah, I'll probably throw a few exactas and tries out there. That'll kind of be my plan of attack here. And Rocco, how about you? I'm playing the race a little tighter than that. Um, I like just one ice cold exacta box. And uh, my triple key comes out to... For a dollar, eight bucks, um, I'll have two horses up top, three in the middle, and, and five on the end, leaving out the two and the four. Um, I, you know, everybody knows I like perform. It's kind of hard to write off Mage and first mission, so that's kind of how I'm going to play the race. Basically centered around those three horses. Okay. No, that makes total sense to me. Now, good stuff. Um, so if you, obviously, listeners want to get their tickets – Patrick will have one for you if you need it. Eric, fantastic horse better. I think you worked with jockeys throughout your life. You're going to have some of your premium horse plays available to premium subscribers at the Ozbreakers, right? Yes, I will. Correct. I will have an article on Friday, the Black Eyed Susan Day, and on Preakness Day. Awesome. No, I'm excited to see it all, my friends. Now, moving to the Friday race. Like to hear a little bit about the Black Eyed Susan because sometimes we're bored in the afternoons on Friday and we just need something to do, Patrick. What, yeah. what do you got going on, Patrick, with the Black Eyed Susan? Yeah, so I, I unfortunately haven't got to this yet. Okay. Uh, so I'll let Rocco kind of take the lead here on this one uh, since it sounds like he's done a little bit of uh, research on this already. Yeah, I haven't yeah, touched absolutely. it yet either, but go ahead, Rocco. Well, Bob Baffert has the favorite in this race. Um, if you listen to the media and you listen to people online she's already won the race she's undefeated she's five for five there was controversy she would have ran in the oaks but because of bob baffert problems with churchill downs she was not allowed to enter in the oaks so he was forced to go this route instead 
So people are essentially already giving her the race. I'm not as convinced that she's just a shoo-in to win. I'm not saying she can't win. She's the horse to beat. But I have a price in the Black Eyed Susan I have my eye on. She's 15 to 1 morning line um, from a trainer that, unless you bet maybe the Midwest, you never heard of. Now, her jockey has a little more of a credible name. Um, number 10, Tech. Okay. Number 10. All right. That's interesting. And so I'm sure you're going to have a pretty good card for Friday, obviously, coming oh, yeah. up, aren't you? Well, that's great. So if you, anyone's yes. interested in Eric's card, you can just be a monthly member. You're not only going to get that, you're also going to get his plays for a whole month. So make sure you check that out. Pivoting over to golf. We have a big major championship going on. The PGA Championship, Patrick. Uh, you are the golf expert. You've been on fire over the past year and a half at least. Yeah. I mean, all your articles, lots of lots of them hitting. Obviously, you're hitting the top 10s, top 20s, a lot of the favorites. What do you like about can, can you give us a little bit of information about this course? Obviously, at the Icebreakers, you have a wonderful article, but maybe a couple uh, golfers that you like. Yeah, so we go to Oak Hill in Rochester, New York uh, right now. The last time we saw this course was in 2013, hosting the PGA Championship. Since then, this course has done a kind of a complete renovation, getting back to its original Donald Ross roots here. Tight fairways, um, long course. They elongated it probably about 250 yards as well. But the key here is going to be the rough. The rough is extremely penal, uh, kind of off the tee here. It's about three and a half inches, which you normally see around two and a half to two and a uh, quarter as well. So that's something to monitor as well. You're going to want to make sure you key on strokes gained approach. And then even around the green, too, of these guys kind of scrambling if they do miss these extremely small greens. I think they're the third or second smallest on tour that players will face this year, especially. Putting, obviously, is a concern, but not so much this week. You're going to kind of want to key on those three putt avoidances if you can as well. Uh, it's a fun course for sure. I mean, it's extremely challenging here. You're kind of looking at your bombers, but also the guys who don't completely negate accuracy off the tee as well ball striking obviously another huge kind of component of this um this week's field as well they kind of compared it to Wingfoot back in 2020 um as kind of one of the comparable courses with the rough and the small green so that's kind of what an overview of it is i mean going into the field obviously you got your big three big two i'm gonna say i'm gonna leave rory out here you got scheffler and rom up there rom's already won four times this year scheffler's got two under his belt here Rory hasn't won a major in his last 30 starts, so I'm kind of negating him a little bit in this field. But it should be a great week for golf, obviously. Got a few outrights, a few top 20s, um, and then I even won top 30 as well. All right. Yeah, you do have a few outrights here. And uh, you didn't go with Rom, or I don't even think you went with Scheffler, right? You went with Shoffley. Yeah, so I mean... I, it's it's tough to play. So there's 156 players in this field too. So you're looking at a favorite. They're what's plus 750. Both of them are, I think, on kind of the major books as well. I usually try to spread it around a little bit. So I did key on some of the favorites here. Um, when you're looking at, you have Xander up there. You got Finau, Brooks, and then even my long shot, Ricky, uh, this week as well. He played in that 2013 championship back at Oak Hill, finished uh, tied for eighth been in much better form as of late. Uh, and I think he's got a shot to kind of capture that illustrious major this week. Oh, that'd be wonderful for him. He won uh, down here in Arizona, actually. Was it last year? Yeah, I think uh, 
the Phoenix Open, I think he won two years ago or something like that. So 2019, I believe. 2019. God, time flies, man. Okay. <laughs> That's always a trip down here because uh, it's yep. one of the biggest first events happening in the wonderful weather of Arizona. No, great stuff. And if you guys want to check more information out on how Patrick is playing this, make sure you check out the Oddsbreakers and this wonderful article he puts out, which leaves us to Eric. Where could our listeners and viewers get your great information? Uh, head to theoddsbreakers.com. I uh, post some free articles on there time to time, probably a little more often than time to time. <laughs> um, then I also have my premium content, horse racing, baseball, basketball. Um, NFL is going to come on upon us fairly, fairly quickly. So head to theoddsbreakers.com or just head to my Twitter. I post stuff on there all the time. I'm always available through DM. Any questions, concerns, complaints, whatever you want to talk about, I'm always around. At Trust Rocco is his Twitter. Patrick, what you got going on? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Gator Betting. We got a weekly NHL podcast, Expected Bets 4, uh, that we usually go live about once a week for, breaking it down. We'll kind of sprinkle in a little live show uh, here and there with 10 minutes, just plays the day. And then, uh, yeah, on Instagram, you can also find me at Gator Sports Betting. All right. Well, hey, guys, love your content at the Odds Breakers. Wonderful job on this show. I can't wait to see who wins this race and see who's going to have the bragging rights at the Ozbreakers, <laughs> my friends. Great stuff. Thanks again for coming on. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for having us. Now it's time for a little UFC on ESPN. We have Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill as the headliners. This is UFC Vegas 73. And if you look at best fight odds ufc fight night 226 yeah these things still have multiple names that they go by which is extremely annoying but mackenzie during you're looking at minus 170 minus 195 minus 186 minus 175 kind of all over the board here and angela hill is the dog around plus 145 plus 155 is the highest that i see over at bet rivers well i mean to be honest with you there's a big age difference between these women uh, Angela Hill was always that fighter that barely lost a lot of fights. I thought some decisions didn't go her way. Uh, Tessia Torres, Amanda Lemos was a split decision. Uh, Verna, there, there's just a lot of split decisions. Uh, Michelle Waterson, Gomez, Claudia, Gadella. It, it's just so many situations where she could have won. But, I mean, she's really, really getting up there in age, you know. And she's a good striker. She's 15 and 12, but she's... 38 years old you know straight stats wise stats like her and that's why there's been a lot of people that have been losing on her right her significant strikes are at 5.68 landed per minute 49 percent accuracy and that's why they like her so much it's just that her strikes don't have a lot behind them she's 5-3 obviously this is the straw weight class 115 pounds um her reach is 64 inches, pretty average right there. Uh, her average fight time goes pretty far into 14 minutes and two seconds. Obviously, most of the time she's in 15-minute fights. Sometimes she'll be in main event just like she is today. So 15-12 overall against Mackenzie Dern, who is 12-3. Now, Mackenzie Dern, stats don't really add up. You know, 3.02 significant strike land per minute, 36%. Uh, strikes absorbed, 4.39 per minute so she absorbs slightly less than angela hill but the thing about Dern is that she 
is a lot younger, 30 years old. And a lot of the fights that she had, if you look on her uh, strength of schedule, were a lot of grapplers and wrestlers. You know, she had to go to the ground a lot, you know, in my opinion. And she's pretty good on the ground. She submitted Nina Nunez uh, not too long ago in 2021. Um, she knows how to grapple. She submitted about seven total fighters of her wins. She's never knocked anyone out. So she can wrestle. And when she gets on the ground, she's usually pretty good. And she's better than Angela Hill when she's on the ground. So there's just multiple ways she's going to win. So from her, just her straight age and the fact that she does have a little bit better of a ground game than Angela Hill has no submissions, five KOs and 10 wins by decision is the reason she's the favorite. Now, uh, Angela Hill's only been submitted twice. She's never been knocked out, but 10 of her 12 losses are by decision. So uh, Dern is the favorite here, but if you're smart enough, you can definitely get cute like I sent to my premium subscribers. And I think there's a misprice on a prop bet in this fight. Um, if you can figure it out, I gave you enough hints to do that. But uh, right now I'm going to pass on this one uh, and give you a free play on the next fight instead being that this fight was reserved for premium subscribers. So the next fight, you have Anthony Hernandez versus Edmund Shabazian. Shabazian plus 205 at some books, plus 185, plus 190, plus 200, FanDuel. Shabazian was a fighter I've hated on for quite some time now, okay? And it was warranted. I thought he was overrated. I bet Derek Brunson in 2020 when he was undefeated. Brunson won. I bet Jack Hermanson. Hermanson won. Can't remember if I bet his last fight against Imavov. And then he comes back and beats Dolce Lungiambula. I think I pronounced that one right. But anyways, I am actually liking him in this fight, especially at the plus 200 price. Now, here it is. Shabazian is only 25 years old. That was part of the reason I started fading him back in 2020. All right. What was he in 2020, like 23 years old, 22? Well, he's fighting Anthony Hernandez, who's a good fighter. You know, he's got 10 wins, two losses. He's 29 years old, six feet tall, one KO, seven submissions, two decisions. He knows he wants to get to the mat most of the time. But now he's fighting a guy that's a little bit bigger than him in Shabazian. 6'2", 185 pounds, 10 KOs, one submission, one decision. It's not like Edmund doesn't know how to play on the ground. He did submit jack marshman back in 2019 with a rear naked choke but i just think that he can get out of some of those takedown attempts from anthony hernandez shabazian's takedown defense is at 65 percent. that's not too bad okay so if he can keep this fight standing he should have the reach to strike with anthony hernandez now is he going to get knocked out i don't know but I think he's young enough and up and coming enough. And it's been long enough since he has been knocked out last time to be able to kind of stand up in this fight. Anthony Hernandez hasn't really fought a tough schedule. You know, he did beat Mark Andre Berriolt. I mean, an okay fighter. You know, he lost to Chitty. He lost to Jun Young Park. He lost to Jocko, which was, a you know, definitely... A difficult match. You know, you've seen Jocko. He he just beat Julian Marquez, and 
Marquez is okay as well. Gas is all the time. So he's a good fighter. He lost to Kevin Holland. That's not a bad loss. He lost to Marcus Perez in 2019 by an Anaconda choke, which is kind of lost, kind of a bad loss. Uh, overturned in the Jordan Wright fight. And Jordan Wright's kind of fake news. But Shabazian's been against better competition. In general, Jack Manson, Derek Brunson, Nazaruddin Imavov, pretty good fighters. Tavares, decent fighter. You know, so his last fights were pretty good. You know, I I, I think the kid's going to grow. I like his age at the 25, kind of coming of age, and I like the fact that he fights for extreme couture. You know, I think he's grown enough to be not necessarily a favorite in this fight, but I think it's completely wrong at plus 200. If I was making the odds in this fight, it would be Anthony Hernandez at minus 140 and Shabazian around the, what, plus 120, plus 110 range, something like that. But you're getting plus 200 on this chance. I think there's more times than one out of three that he wins this fight. Take Edmund Shabazian to win this fight at 1.5 stars. And so then I got a call from him saying, we don't have to worry about money no more. And I said, that's good. One less thing. All right, let's look deeper into this card a little bit. Uh, Emily Ducati versus Lupi Godinez. I have no idea about this fight. I looked at it strongly. Ducati's got seven losses, 12 and seven. Lupi's nine and three. So Lupi's a little bit of a favorite i think she's a little bit fraudulent but i don't like emily as well i'm gonna actually completely stay away from this fight uh andre fialo versus joaquin buckley fialo i really got burned on i i thought that he should have won which fight was it uh against jake matthews and he just got his butt kicked and ko'd in the in the second round, he was on a nice little roll b- uh, before that. And then he lost to Muslim Salikov as well by getting punched. But he's on a mission to kind of come back here 16 and 6. And you got Buckley at 15 and 6 here as a pretty big favorite. Buckley can do both, he can wrestle a little bit, he can definitely stand up and bang around. But I, I don't know if Buckley should be this big of a of a favorite here, in my opinion, you know. Buckley does have a slight significant strikes landed permitted advantage, you know. Um, he absorbs less strikes. I just think that, you know, neither fighter is really stood out to me as being a tier two yet. You know, they're, they're both kind of tier three fighters in my opinion. So if you look at that, you're kind of going to gravitate towards the dog a little bit. You know, Fialo does have a submission on his belt. I don't know how long ago it was, but he can get down and definitely pound with some people. Uh, he, he does get out of submission attempts because he, nobody's ever submitted him. His only losses were four knockouts and two uh, decisions. So he gasses if it goes too far. But actually, Buckley's gassed plenty of times himself. He's also got four KOs losses in two decisions so these guys have very similar records i i wouldn't put buckley in my any of my parlays to uh to put it nicely here and uh finally you have michael johnson versus diego ferreira and 
This is another interesting fight because both these fighters are a little bit older. Diego's 15, 17 and 5. Uh, Michael Johnson is 20 and 18. And you know, Michael Jackson's that guy that, you know, when do you trust him? Uh, he, he beat Mark Diakise in December, and I lost that. I went against Johnson in December there, and I, I think it was kind of one of those just Johnson just kind of came to brawl, man. It was just a situation. But before that, he lost to Jamie Malarkey in a split decision. I know it's a split decision, say what you want, but, you know, Malarkey's an Australian hothead type guy. Um, some decent fights as well. But, you know, he beat Alan Patrick, then lost to Clay Guida. Clay Guida, I love Clay Guida, but geez, you know, lose to Clay, Clay Guida in 2021. You lost to Thiago Moises in 2020, which is a good loss. Stephen Ray, not a good loss. Josh Emmett, good loss. A lot of losses there. Uh, five of his last seven fights he's lost. And then you got Diego, who's kind of been there for a long time at 38 years old. Michael Johnson, I believe, is 36. So slight age difference. But, um, you know, Diego has a ton of experience. He has three of his last losses here. First of all, he went on a big streak before that. Won five in a row against Jared Gordon, Kyle Nelson, uh, guys like Anthony Pettis, which is real nice. He choked out Anthony Pettis. He lost way back in 15 against Dustin Poirier and Benil Dariush, and he fought Dariush again. Lost in a split decision against Dariush. Now, Dariush is badass. He's one of the top in the 155 weight class. He lost to uh, Gregor Gillespie. That's a good loss. Gillespie badass and then Mateus Gamrot he lost so his strength schedule is phenomenal and Michael Johnson also a good strength schedule but not quite that good a lot more losses and this is why Diego is the favorite here and also Diego is the uh, better wrestler seven submissions seven decisions three KOs uh, I think Diego is going to beat him on the ground uh, I also think that Diego is probably going to have an advanced standing I, these two guys aren't really different in height by much. You know, it's actually pretty close. Uh, 4.27 significant strikes for Johnson, 4.67 for Diego. They're both around 37% accuracy. Uh, Diego absorbs less strikes per minute on average, and there's large sample size, lots of USC fights. Diego's got more takedowns, 0.75 to 0.47. I don't even get cute with this one. Lay the minus 150 here. I think laying the minus 150 is smart. I don't see Michael Johnson coming back out of this. Uh, I think Diego gets an, a nice, easy win, whether it be by points or possibly inside the distance. Do it for 1.5 stars. And my friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We covered a lot of ground here, a little NFL, a little horse racing, a little golf, you know, even the black-eyed Susan. Huge thanks to Patrick Gates and uh Eric Rocco, our guys at the Odds Breakers for grinding every single day. So proud of those guys. If you have any questions about any of our packages, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, uh, Rocco's card is going to be out right away on Friday for the big races. So make sure you check him out. Check myself out at theoddsbreakers.com. Everybody enjoy the fights this weekend. Enjoy all the games, the races, and go get some winners.